6 o'clock, a congregational meeting, and I just uh, encourage you to come. It's going to be uh, just a chance to kind of review last year and, and um, give you an update. There's really not a, a lot to update on the building, but we'll kind of let you know where, we're, where we are at with all of that. And um, we're pretty much on hold right now, waiting on the city to get some of their stuff done and waiting for this economy to hopefully improve one day. Amen. But we're in a good place. And uh, um, I told someone, I said, it's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. And, uh, but the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the going forth of the gospel is not dependent upon a building. And so never, ever, ever think that we are dependent upon a building to carry out the commission of God in the ministry that every believer has been called to. Your most effective ministry is not going to happen in this building or in a new building. It's going to happen out where you live every day, where you work, where you shop, where you play. Uh, That's the most effective ministry. It's your life lived in Christ, manifesting His life through you every day. Amen? So, let's open our Bible this morning to the book of John, John chapter 14. And as you turn there, uh, I'm going to read three scriptures to you. Now, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to take our time and kind of go through. um, Pentecost um, is coming up in a couple of weeks. And I kind of did this on purpose. I wanted to kind of go from from the resurrection uh, to the ascension to Pentecost and kind of go through Remember, we did leading up to Easter, uh, we, we did the days preceding Jesus going to the cross. And, and we're looking really at uh, these days in between the resurrection and Pentecost. And uh, the Holy Spirit is a topic in the church. Can I just say this? Um, you know, Christ Fellowship and, and, and is not, is, it's not a place where you're going to come, and this is my fault, because uh, it's just who I am. You, I'm, I'm just not the type of, of a person, I'm not into trying to make things entertaining. I, I love to be entertained. If you guys know me, I, I love to party and I love to have fun, and, and I'm, I'm up for a party any time. But I feel like that when we come together... Uh, as the body of Christ, we have a very specific mission, and that mission, the Scripture says, is to be equipped for the work of ministry. It doesn't say to be entertained to get you through the coming week. It, it's, to, it's to equip you, and, and as believers, we need to understand that we're on this earth for a reason. We have a mission here, and it's not our mission. It's the mission that God has given us to be a witness to Him, to to proclaim the gospel through our life. And, and the gospel is simply, it's the message, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that has got to be proclaimed. But if, if I don't equip you, if I don't tell you the truth, if I don't teach you things that are true, then you're not going to really be equipped. And if we don't deal with some hard issues, there's a lot of things that, Especially today in the current environment of the church world, uh, there is, you know, there's, a, there's a, a segment of the church world that might as well be, you know, you guys know what Madison Avenue is? Wall Street is the financial district. Madison Avenue is the, that's the advertising and marketing. So I was a marketing major at the University of Texas, and so, you know, marketing is really important. Most of what you buy and most of what you where you shop and where you like to go, whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, you do it because marketing works. And people know how to market things, and, and we've, we've not been called in the body of Christ to market the gospel in a slick way. We're called to present the gospel in its raw form. And now that doesn't mean, Paul says, that we need to be wise, uh, when I'm in Rome, I understand how Romans live and what Romans, how they think. They're not Orthodox Jews, 
who won't eat certain things and do certain things. Paul says, I've been delivered. I'm not under the bondage of the law anymore. So when I'm in Rome, if they set a pig before me to eat, then I'm going to eat it. Not because I like pig, but, but that's what the Romans eat. And so I'm not... You understand what I'm saying? It's not that we just become offensive for the sake of becoming offensive. But we never compromise the truth in order to, to make something more palatable. And we certainly don't overlook things or pretend like things don't exist because they're just too difficult to deal with. The Bible deals with very difficult topics. And in talking about the Holy Spirit, it's a difficult topic. Probably more than any topic within the body of Christ, this is one of the most divisive topics that exist. And so a lot of churches just, you know, they don't deal with it or they have their, you know, particular slant on it. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I've, I've, um, I, I've had a certain, you know, belief, and because that's, that's the way I was taught to believe, um, I wasn't raised in church, so when I got saved, I didn't have any preconceived anything, you know, I just, I just began to read the Bible, but as you're trained and you, you're influenced by certain things, you begin to read the Bible in certain ways, and, and you know, you read it, and it's like, well, I don't... It's like, hmm, well, but that's what it, you know, it's suppo- it must mean that's because that's what everybody tells me it's supposed to mean. We've got to not do that. We've got to let the Word of God be the Word of God. We've got to let the Word of God interpret the Word of God. And so we're going to talk about some difficult uh, things today. Um, and so I'm just going to give you this declaim- disclaimer up front. I want you to hear me out. The message God, I didn't hand you a message God today, but, but the messages are on the website, and the message God will be downloaded on the website, so you can download my notes, and you can have all my, my, my scripture references and, and my thoughts there on paper, and, and you can go, and I would encourage you, when you come here, bring your Bible, bring a, a notebook, a, take notes. Write the scripture references down that I give you. Go back home and study the scripture. And, and do that. Don't take my word for it just because I'm the pastor. There are a lot of people who are in behind pulpits preaching things that are not truth. And just because I stand behind this pulpit doesn't make it true. The only thing that makes it true is because it's the word of God. And if I stand behind this pulpit and pe- preach something that's not the word of God, then my position here doesn't make it true. And so this is the final authority. Okay, so let's get started. Let me read uh, Luke 2449. Now remember, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. Luke 2449, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in Jerusalem. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait until you are endued with power from on high. The promise of the Father is is the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's telling them, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.33, Peter is preaching his sermon after they've already, the Spirit's fallen on the day of Pentecost. This is the day of Pentecost. Peter comes out, he's preaching the sermon, and he makes this statement. Therefore being exalted, he's speaking of Jesus, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus received that promise so that he could give it to us. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, poured out this which you now see and hear. Peter was telling them, what, what you have seen, what you hear, what you have experienced, he said, this is the promise of the Father that the Lord Jesus spoke of. He has poured it out. And, and in, remember, we looked at these scriptures. We're going to look, I'm going to give you a brief overview in just a minute. But John's chapter 14, 15, and 16, those three chapters, is Jesus teaching his disciples just hours before he's arrested in the garden. So they've already had the Last Supper. They've already had the Passover meal. They have left the upper room, and they are making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, about the coming of the Holy Spirit before he is arrested to be crucified. This is what's taking place in John 14, 15, and 16. And and so he's speaking to them. 
of the promise of the Father. He's telling them, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the Spirit of truth. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you orphans. Then in Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus makes this statement. If you then, being evil, this is right after he teaches them how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he goes into this discourse and he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who work really hard and pray really hard for it? Is that what the scripture says? But yet that's, that's really... If we would really be honest, there's a large circle of Christianity today that that really teaches, whether it's directly or indirectly, it's implied, that if I don't earn it, if I'm not worthy enough, I'm not going to get this. That's not what the scripture says. If you ask, you shall receive. Will he not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. So let's... uh, let me just take you through. I'm going to give you some, a, a, a bunch of scripture here, and, and you might just jot them down. And, and what I'm going to give you here, starting in John 14, is Jesus preparing his disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus describing to his disciples what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to be in their life. And so in John 14:16, he speaks of this promise of the Father. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. How long is he going to abide with us, church? Forever. John 14:70, Jesus calls him the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. John 14:26. The Spirit is our helper, He is our teacher, He will teach us, and He will bring to remembrance the things Jesus is telling His disciples, He will bring to your remembrance the things that I've said. Now, understand what's happening. He's getting ready to be arrested and and, and ultimately crucified, and He's telling His disciples, we know that they didn't get it. Remember, he told him, he said, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of evil men. He's going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise on the third day. Well, they missed that last part about rising on the third day because after the resurrection, they're hiding out, they're fearful. They can't even believe that the Lord is, is, is really resurrected. But, but here's the beautiful thing. Jesus knew all that was going to happen. He wasn't disappointed that they didn't believe. He wasn't disappointed that they were freaked out and afraid. This is why he told them. He said, look, you guys don't get it right now. I understand this. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will call to your remembrance the things that I've said to you. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. See, it wasn't dependent upon them. He was sending them a helper. And and he said, he's going to be the one that's going to empower you to walk in truth. He's going to be the one that's going to empower you to know and to, to Get the revelation of everything that I have said to you guys, that I've taught you guys over this last three and a half years. He is going to open up the scripture to you from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation that didn't even exist then. He said he is going to open up the scripture to you and he will lead you and guide you into truth. He'll teach you. He'll call to your remembrance the things that I've said to you. John 15, 26, he'll testify of Jesus. The whole chapter of John is about the Holy Spirit residing in us and us residing in Christ and that Spirit in us producing fruit that will glorify the Father. Who produces that fruit? The Spirit produces that fruit. You don't glorify the Father through your your works. The Father is glorified because of the life of the Spirit that's in you that is manifesting His fruit, His life. By this... By your much fruit, Jesus said, my Father is glorified. And so John 15 is all about the Holy Spirit, the fruit producer. He'll testify of Jesus, John 15, 26. John 16, 8, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We, we, did a, we looked in depth of what that means last uh, week before last. He convicts the world of sin. What is the sin? Because they do not believe in me. That's not you. If you're a believer today, if you're born again today, you're not of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. The Holy Spirit is not here to convict you of sin because you're a believer. But he will convict the world of sin. What's the sin? Because they don't believe in Christ. Because they remain in death and Christ is the only way we can come into life. And if they don't trust in Christ, they remain in death. 
And so the Holy Spirit is convicting them to believe in the one who has and who is our life. He will convict the world of righteousness. Why? Because I go to my Father. And so Jesus is very practically telling, look, I'm not going to be here. But the Spirit is coming to this world. The Spirit is going to come. It will abide with you and it will be in you. And it will show the world the way of righteousness. Who is our righteousness? Christ is our righteousness. Righteousness is not a lifestyle. Righteousness is a person. There's only one righteous. That's Christ. And, and why is he convicting the world to believe in Christ? Because he is the way of righteousness. He'll convict them in the way of righteousness. David said this, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That is Christ Jesus. He is the way of righteousness. He'll convict the world of judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world has been judged. If you are a child of God today, a child has an inheritance, right? If God is your father, you have an inheritance from your father. You've become joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. That's your inheritance. The inheritance of Christ is your inheritance. But if you are of your father, the devil, if you were still in unbelief and not trusting in Christ who is life, Christ who is righteousness, Christ who is the way, then you are of your father, the devil. You know what your inheritance is? It is judgment. And he will convict the world that that is what their portion is if they do not come to faith in Christ. And so he says this, John 16, 13, he will guide the believer. He will speak to the believer. How will he speak? Is he going to appear physically? Probably not. Most likely, you will never experience a physical Jesus this side of the second coming. But you better believe that he will speak to you. And you better believe that you can see him by faith and by the Spirit. Remember the prophet Elijah, after he, after he destroys the prophets of Baal and has his great victory on Mount Carmel, then one wicked queen says, before the day's out, prophet, I'll have your head. And he just see, he sees God and do this great miraculous thing. And what's he do? He runs for his life. He goes to the desert and he laments, I'm the only one, God. God says, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And he ends up in this cave. And the Bible says there's, he, he, he wants to hear. He says, God, I just need to hear your voice. Where is God? Where are you, God? And, and all of a sudden, there's this great whirlwind. He goes out thinking God's in the whirlwind. But God wasn't in the whirlwind. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the pillar of fire. It, it, he comes back in and, and he says, Then I heard the small whispering voice. I heard the small whispering voice. And he put his mantle over his head. For he knew the presence of God was there. How is God going to speak to you, church? He'll speak through his word first and foremost. Everybody wants to get a word from God, but nobody wants to read their Bible to get it. We all want to go to the anointed man of God. And we use that word and that term very loosely. And I'll say very loosely. We want to get a word of God from some man of God, but we don't want to go to the Scripture because this is the word God has given us. Now, he can confirm this word through a man of God, through a woman of God, no doubt about it, and he does. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is the chief way God will speak to you. And that small whispering voice, that witness of the Holy Spirit inside of you, it will confirm what this word right here declares. It will. And so he will lead you, guide you, speak to you. He will tell you things to come. John 16, 14, he will glorify Christ. John 16, 15, the Holy Spirit will declare the things of Christ. Do you, do you see a common theme there and a common thread? What is the Holy Spirit all about? Or should I say, who is the Holy Spirit all about? He's all about Christ. He's going to lead you to Christ, testify of Christ, glorify Christ, declare the things of Christ. Why? Because he is here to reveal Christ to you. And, and in revealing Christ to you, he will reveal Christ to the world. 
And that's how he will convict the world of their unbelief. That's how he will show the world the way of righteousness. That's how he will let the world know there's something better than the judgment that is apportioned to the, to the devil and the enemies of God that God wants to give to those who will trust him an inheritance in his son. Amen? That's good news. You ought to be shouting right now, church. All right, John 14. Have you found it yet? All right, let's go there. So Jesus, in those three chapters, is preparing his disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now in John 14, verse 1, we're going to look basically pretty much at this, almost this whole chapter. For, we're going to look at 20 verses of this chapter. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. The correct rendering there, in my Father's house, are many dwellings. Now, I need to stop. I know I did this two weeks ago, but I'm going to do it again. There is this silly theology. I don't even know where it came from, who developed it, that somehow we're going to all have mansions in glory. That, that, that God's got my mansion up there in glory. And one day when I fly away in the sweet by and by, I'm going I'm to inherit some mansion in glory. That is not, that is not what Jesus is talking about. What is the Father? Let's, let's let the Bible interpret the Bible, okay? In my Father's house. What is the Father's house? Has Jesus ever used that phrase before? Well, If you remember preceding Easter when we looked at the days from the triumphal entry, he came into Jerusalem. He gets in there that evening, he looks over, he goes to the temple, looks around, he goes back to Bethany. The next morning he comes back into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple, it's it's now five days before Passover. And you know what they're doing? They've got the the doves and the lambs and the money changers are all there because everybody's coming from all over the world because the feast of Passover was one of the three feasts that demanded that every man appear before the Lord face to face. So you had Jews coming from every part of the known world to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. And so they had set up this law that, that regardless of where you're from, the only offering you could give in the temple, they, the temple had its own money. So if we were coming from Italy and we had Italian money, we'd go to the temple and we'd have to turn our Italian money in and get the temple money. Just like if you go overseas, you take American dollars and you exchange them for euros. These were, that's who the money changers were. And so they were buying and selling. They were changing money. They were selling these animals and everything. Jesus comes in and what's he say? My father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves, and he drove them all out. What is the father's house? It's the temple. It's the temple. In my father's house. Now remember, the scripture from beginning to end, when do we see a temple? Well, before there was a temple, there was a tabernacle in the wilderness, the tent of meeting. The tabernacle, the temple, they they represented the same thing. Remember, the correct answer is Jesus. (laughs) Any any question you want to ask, well, what does that mean? If if you don't know anything else, you say it means Jesus. You're going to be almost right. Because, listen, this word, everything God has given us, he's given to us to reveal Christ to us. That temple was only a shadow of the real thing to come. So here's Jesus. He walks out, and he's on the temple compound. And, and everybody is so impressed as disciples. Oh, Jesus, man, isn't this an impressive structure? He said, I'm going to tell you the truth. He said, you see this, this temple? He said, this thing's going to be torn down. There's not going to be one rock left standing on top of it, but I'll rebuild it in three days. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? It took over 40 years for this structure to be built. But the scripture says they didn't know what Jesus was talking about because he was talking about his body. Are you, you tracking with me, church? So the temple in Jerusalem, that, that rock structure, was only a shadow of the real thing, which is Christ. Read the book of Revelation. In the new heaven and the new earth, it says there was no temple. Why? Because the Lamb the lamb is its temple. You are, you are the body of Christ. You are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you're a lively stone, a living stone being built. God is building his house. And the house, Christ is the house. You are the house. You are the body of Christ. You're the head. I mean, he's the head, you're the body. So in my, now, so we got to let the scripture interpret the scripture. In my father's house are many dwelling places. Ultimately, when all is said and done and all this temple is passed away in the new heaven and the new earth, the lamb is its temple. What is the house Jesus is talking about here? He's not talking about your mansion in heaven. He is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, the Lord of glory. He is talking about the house that God is building through his body. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. Now remember, the Bible's not written to you, but it's written for you. Jesus is talking to a very specific group of people here. What he's saying, he's saying to them, but he's saying it for all of us who are believers today. Amen? He is going to prepare a place. Hold your place there. Let's go to Numbers chapter 10. I want to read this scripture to you again. Numbers chapter 10. Verse 33. This is Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. They've been camped there now, going on two years, and God is getting ready to lead them out, and they're going to begin to make their journey to the promised land, okay? But look what it says. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days journey to search out a resting place for them. What was the ark? Now, here again, we're all enamored with the ark. You know, I've got books on my bookshelf at home. I've got one book that says it's in Ethiopia. There's another book that says, you know, it's under the, where Jesus was crucified. And Do you know the ark was not even in the temple when Jesus was crucified? It wasn't there. It had been, it had been vacant from the temple for, for hundreds of years. Why are we so consumed with things that God does not, is not even... God was so not concerned about the Ark of the Covenant that he didn't even let it be in the temple when, when Jesus was crucified. So why are we wasting time and energy trying to figure out where an Ark is? When we have the real Ark, Jesus Christ. Do you understand that Jesus Christ is the real deal? That gold box was only a shadow of what was to come. Christ is the substance yeah, but if we could find the ark, Pastor Jeff, people would believe. No, they wouldn't. They're not going to believe. When Jesus was on this earth in bodily form, they didn't believe. He fulfilled to the very jot and tittle what the scripture says. He even is on the cross and he quotes Psalm 22. And he says, I am, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? That is the beginning line of Psalm 22. He wasn't saying, God, why have you forsaken me? That's not why he said that. He was declaring the word of God and he was telling to those people. He was witnessing to them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am the fulfillment. I am the word fulfilled before your very eyes. We have the ark. We live in the ark. The ark lives in us. And so in Numbers 10.33, the ark represented something. It was a shadow of what was to come. It went before them for three days to do what? To find, to prepare a resting place. Let's go back to John 14. Let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. I go to prepare a place for you. Where is Jesus fixing to go? He's going to the cross. He's crucified. He's buried. And on the third day, he was resurrected. 
Well, I wonder what happened for those three days. Well, the Scripture tells us what happened. He didn't suffer at the hands of the devil. If you've got that book in your library, throw it away. It's a lie. He didn't suffer at the hands of the devil. He went and he took the keys of the kingdom. He went and he, he proclaimed his authority. He prepared a resting place for us. If I go to prepare a place, I will come again. Now hear me, church. There is going to be a second coming. And this scripture may allude to a second coming, but Jesus is not talking about a second coming that's going to happen thousands of years in the future here. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going three days ahead of you, and I'm going to come back to you having prepared a place. And when he went to that cross and died, when he went to that tomb, three days later, he came back to them in resurrection life and resurrection power, and he had prepared a place for us. I'm telling you what, the sacrifice was accepted. How do we know? Because he came back. Because he, he conquered death. He conquered the grave and he came back to them. Boys, I have prepared the place for you. And the scripture says he led captivity captive. Hebrews 2.10 says that he led many, led, past tense, he led many sons to glory. Hang with me, church, okay? Hang with me. And so I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, you know. And the way you know, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Where, where was he going? Ultimately, where is Jesus going? What, where is he preparing a place for us to go? In my father's house. He's going to the father is where he's going. He's preparing a, a place for us in the father. He's preparing a way for us to go to the father. Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going and we don't know how. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. You notice it doesn't say I am a way. I am the way. I am the way truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father. Where are you going? We don't know where you're going. I'm going to the Father. Well, how are we going to get there? We don't know the way. I am the way. I am the truth that will set you free. I am the life you're in need of right now because you're caught in sin and death and your nature is death. I am life and until you come out of death and come into me until you come out of life until you are placed in me you're in death. But once you are placed in me you have life because I am the life. So he says no one can come to the father except through me. If you had known me, Philip, you would have known my father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Is Jesus just being flippant there? Absolutely not. Now look at this. Then Philip chimes in. And Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the father, and it's sufficient. Jesus, if you just show us the father, it, it, that's, all, that's all we need. You don't need to say anything, do anything else. Just show us the father. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? Now, Jesus said that to Philip. But I'm going to tell you what, church, that's a question that Jesus spoke to Philip that goes to our heart right here. Have we been with him so long, and yet we do not know him? Remember, when we talked about Jesus appearing to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, the Peter and the other six are in the boat fishing, and Jesus is on the seashore, and he says, children, do you have any bread? Do you have any food? They said, no, we don't have any food. He says, cast your nets on the right side of the boat there, and you'll catch some fish. And John goes, Peter, it's the Lord. Peter puts his garment on. John jumps in the water, swims to the shore. Jesus already has fish there. Remember, they, they didn't recognize Jesus. Though they'd been with him, they didn't know him. Because in their mind, they had an image of Jesus. And Jesus did not allow them. He did not conform to their carnal, earthly 
fleshly image. He didn't allow that. He said, you're, you're not going to know me anymore. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.16. We know no man any longer according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. We walk by faith and not by sight, church. See, if you've got an, an image of Jesus that is somehow contrary to what this word declares, it's an idol. And God wants to destroy the idols in your life. Philip, have you been with me so long and yet you do not know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? This is important, church. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Do you believe the Father was in Christ? Do you believe Christ was in the Father? We have to. That's what Jesus says, right? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go. Because I go. We don't know where you're going, Jesus. I'm going to my Father. And I'm going to go ahead of you, and I'm going to make a way. I'm going to prepare a way for you. And he did that through through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He prepared a way for us. He's not preparing a way now. He has already prepared the way. We're not waiting to come to the Father. Hang with me, church. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, and the fa- that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Boy, I could spend some time on this, but I don't have time to do it. Let me just say this. This is not your blank check to get whatever you can name or claim. It's not. The things that you ask, why are you asking? That my Father may be glorified. What glorifies the Father? John 15. We know that Jesus said, here's another tip for you guys. See, we could take John 14, 13 out of context and and make a theology out of that, and people have done that. It would be like us, if if I was sitting with you and and I had a three-hour conversation with you, and I took one sentence that you said out of our three-hour conversation, and I just went and broadcast it all over, so-and-so said this. And I totally ignored the context before and after. You know, it could... Have you guys ever seen... Who, who ever watched Seinfeld? Okay, you, it's okay. You're not going to go to hell if you like Seinfeld, okay? It was hilarious. Was Seinfeld a comedy or a drama? It was a comedy. There was nothing dramatic about it. But, but Caleb showed me last night this YouTube video of, of, of Seinfeld as a drama, And what they did is they took clips of all the Seinfeld episodes and they made like this three or four minute drama about George. And it was like serious. It was like dramatic. I mean, it's like crying and heart-wrenching. And You know how they did that? (laughs) They took what was really happening and they took it totally out of context. Seinfeld was not a drama, it was a comedy. See, when we take the word of God out of context, it's, it's like trying to turn Seinfeld into a drama when it's really a comedy. If we understand that John 14, 15, and 16 and on, all the way to John 17, the prayer in the garden, this is one conversation Jesus is having with his disciples. This, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son has got to be understood in context of what he's talking about in this whole conversation. And he goes on in John 15 and he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. What is the anything God will grant to you? He will grant to you anything that will cause you to become more fruitful. If that's a solid gold Lexus, then, uh, then that's God's business. But I would advise you not to be praying for your gold Lexus, thinking that you getting your gold Lexus is going to glorify the Father. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Okay, let me move on before I digress. If you love me, keep my commandments. Look at this. Now, verse 16, John 14, 16. And I will pray 
the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why can't the world see him and know him? Because they're in unbelief. They can't see and they don't know Jesus. If they can't see and know Jesus, they can't see and know the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is there to testify of Jesus, to reveal Jesus to them. And he says, he's coming, but the world is not going to receive him because they're in unbelief. They don't see him and they don't know him. But, it's an important but right here, but you know him. Why do they know the Holy Spirit? Because they know Christ and they know the Father because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. This is important. I know you say, well, I know that, Pastor Jeff. Well, I know mentally you know that, but theologically, a lot of what we believe and a lot of what we do and a lot of what we act on really says that we really don't know that. Okay? So he says, but you know him, for he dwells with you. Here's what this this literal rendering says right here. He, He dwells with you. He is by your side, and he will be in you. There's a difference between with and in. He will dwell with you. He is coming, and he will be all around you. He'll be by your side. But more importantly, for the believer, he will be in you. He's in the world right now, convicting the world of their unbelief, convicting the world of righteousness, convicting the world of the coming judgment. He's in the world, but he's not in the world. He's not in those who are in the world. But for the believer, he's not only with us, he is in us. Jesus is speaking future tense. He will be in you when he comes on the day of Pentecost. I will not leave you orphans. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will send a helper, a comforter. I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. Look at this. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, why? Because I live. And because I live, you will live also. That's the resurrection. You will see me because I live. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. But you will see me because I live. He, he came back to them, having prepared a place at the resurrection. And because I live, Jesus says, you will live also. Church, if you're alive today in Christ, it's because he lives. If you live today, it's because he lives. That's the only way that we can have life, is in him. He is our life. All right, so he says... Because I live, you will live also. At that day, at what day? At that day that you will know I live. What day was that? It was the day of his resurrection. At that day, you will know. And he comes back to this. Look at this. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father. Remember, he says, Philip, how long have you been with me and you don't know the Father? Don't you know that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father? Now look what he says. Now, he goes away and he prepares a place for us. And he comes back. And at that day, you will know that I live. And because I live, you live also. At that day, you will know that what? I am in my Father. And now here's something that's different. And you in me and I in you. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. Where was he going? He was going to the Father. Jesus said, don't you know that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? Now Jesus said, at that day, at that day, you're going to know that I'm in the Father. And you and me, let's stop right there. All right, Jesus is in the Father. Okay? And you, he's talking to his disciples. But this is recorded for us. Because if they're going to be in him, because they have trusted, if you trust, where are you going to be? You're going to be in him. So if Jesus is in the Father, and we are in Christ, then where are we? 
Where are we? Are we in the Father with him? Absolutely. So someone told me this week, they said, you know, uh, they were talking about coming to church and, and they were, you know, kind of struggling about coming to church. And, and they said, I, 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 had the, I heard this teaching one time and, and it really helped me. And they, and they said, you know, they, 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 it was a women's conference somewhere and they said, you know, the, the lady leading the conference, she said, you know, think of it this way. She said, you know, take two hours out of your week and she said, God is your father. Take two hours out of your week and, and go to your father's house. Can't you just go and visit your father for two hours a week? And I'm just listening, but I can't contain myself. And I let her finish, and I said, now, now let, me, let me take that a step forward, for, uh, farther. I said, do you, do you see the separation there? I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to go visit my father. So when you leave church, did you leave your father in the building? Christ said, I'm in my father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This is not the father's house you come to visit your father in. Listen, if you're in Christ, you live in the father. You dwell in the father. You abide in the presence of the father. You can't ever escape him. Because you live in him. Because if you're in Christ and Christ is in the Father, the reality is in my Father's house are many dwelling places. I'm going to prepare a place so that you can come with me and dwell with me in my Father's house. And Jesus said, at that day of resurrection when you know that I live and because I live you're going to live also, you're going to know that I'm in my Father and you will be in me and I will be in you. And if he's in the Father and I'm in him, then, then there are it would be kind of silly to say that we're, we're waiting to be with the Father. Do you believe that you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? But, but, but yet you're seated here at Christ Fellowship Church on these nice chairs. But the reality is, you're in Christ. And you're seated with him. That's your position. Now we believe that. Why do we believe it? We believe it because the scripture declares it. And just because in reality you're sitting on this nice brown chair does not mean that in reality you are seated with him in heavenly places. Just like if Christ is in the Father and Christ is in us and we are in Christ, then that's where we are. I go before you three days to prepare a resting place. Where was he going to prepare a place? It was in the Father. And he did it through the cross and through the resurrection. And he came back alive, conquering death in the grave. And he says, I've done it. I've prepared the place. Now, boys, you can come and be with me in the Father. So we enter in this resting place. Who is our resting place? Christ is our resting place. Christ is the promised land. The promised land was a shadow of Christ. Ultimately, Christ is our resting place in our promised land. We're able to enter. How are we able to enter in? Do you know that there were millions of chil- the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, but do you know how many actually entered in that were from Egypt? Out of millions, only two, Caleb and Joshua. And the book of Hebrews says they were not able to enter in because of their sin, and their sin was unbelief. Jesus has prepared a place for us. You know what's going to keep you out of it? The same thing that kept the children of Israel out of the promised land. Unbelief will keep you out. And the reason that God did not allow those children of Israel to go into the promised land was because they did not believe God. That in and of itself was a type and a shadow that you will not enter into Christ if you do not believe him. And so God has sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of their unbelief so that we can enter into the resting place that he has prepared for us, who is Christ. And so we enter in the same way that the children of Israel were to enter, and we enter in through faith. Now, I told you I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, and that was a big, long introduction to get you where I'm going next, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We're going to look at one verse here. Now, I I said all of this because this is important for us to understand. Jesus prepared a place for us. He made a way for us to get there. He is the way. But we can't get there on our own. 
It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Lord. By the Spirit of the Lord. Remember that scripture? Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So Jesus prepared a place for us. How do we get to that place? I'm going to tell you right now, it is the Spirit of God that places us into his rest. It is the Spirit of God that places us in this resting place. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's just begin in verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. How many bodies are there? One. Whose body are we talking about? The body of Christ. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all, say all, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. So this work of the Holy Spirit in baptism is absolutely crucial for us to understand. Because our, the very understanding of our salvation hinges on us understanding what this is about. There are some people who say if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Do you know that they are right? Not a lot of you people are freaking out right now. What they're wrong about is they have no clue what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. They think it's speaking in tongues. They think it's having some ecstatic experience, and that means you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's not what the Scripture teaches. No way, shape, or form does the Scripture teach that, okay? So all you people that I've just stomped on your toes, hang with me, okay? And have the courage to let the Scripture be the interpretation of the Scripture, okay? By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Or we could, we could say it like this. For indeed, by means of one spirit, we were all placed into one body. Because this is what the word baptized means. Do you know that there is no English equivalent for the word baptize? It's a Greek word, and, 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 and what we have is, is, is a transliteration. There's not really an English equivalent to it. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Jeff? That means that we have to let this word be what it is. We can't put our own definition. We can't have our pet theologies and make our pet theologies fit what the Scripture says. Listen, the Scripture must destroy our pet theologies. The Scripture must destroy our wrong doctrines. The Scripture, unless the Scripture does that, we are bound by a lie and deceived and we will not understand the reality of our salvation in Christ. And that's why a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit is absolutely important. If you don't understand what the Holy Spirit has done, you won't really understand your salvation. And so Paul makes this statement, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit in baptism? What is the Spirit? Let me give you a multiple choice test. I'm going to give you three choices. And I want you to give me the answer that you think is least correct. Is the Holy Spirit a he a she or an it? No, it's not it. Last night, everybody said, it's not a she. I'm like, no, you're wrong. There is no, gen- listen, God doesn't under, there is no gender the way we understand gender. But we know this, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy, listen to me, church, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a substance. In May 29th, we're going to have a water baptism. Okay? How many baptisms are there? Hold your place right there. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 4. Let's begin right there. For there is, say it with me, one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, verse 5, one Lord, 
One faith. How many baptisms? Two? No. One. One. There is no such thing as a water baptism and a spirit baptism. They are not two different things. Well, I just lost somebody else too. If, if, if there is two baptisms, then the, then the scripture is lying. Let's just go ahead and cut Ephesians 4, 5 out of our Bibles because it's not true. No, there's one baptism. Water baptism is symbolic of something. Remember, just like the temple was symbolic of something, the ark was symbolic of something, water baptism is symbolic of something. There's only one baptism, and it is the baptism of the Spirit. This is why water baptism doesn't save you. The water has no magical power to wash your sin away. None whatsoever. The blood of Jesus washes your sin away, and you aren't baptized into Christ by water. The water symbolizes that you are baptized into Christ. How? By the Spirit. Why is it important for us to to be mindful that the Spirit of God is not a thing? It's not a substance. For by one Spirit you were baptized. The Spirit is not a thing we are baptized with. Listen, I'm Pentecostal charismatic. I believe in the fullness of the Spirit. I, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, but, but let's believe in accordance with the scripture. Let's not believe some wackiness, okay? So at the day of Pentecost, did the spirit come? Yes, it came. Jesus said it's going to come and be with you, but it will also be in you. So we could say, well, they were, they were baptized with the spirit. They were filled with the spirit. Well, being baptized with the spirit doesn't mean some substance called the spirit came and got all over me and then, then filled me up. Because the Spirit is not a substance. The Spirit is a person. So listen, listen to me. Let me give you a picture to help illustrate it. On May 29th, we're going to pull that curtain back, and there's a baptismal back there. We're going to fill it up with water, and we're going to have people come, and I am going to stand in that cold water, and they're going to walk down the steps of that baptismal, and I am going to grab their hand, and, and I'm going to dip them down in the water. I'm gonna, they're going to go down in the water. They're not baptized with Pastor Jeff. If I said they, they, you, were, you were just baptized with Pastor Jeff, this is, that would be the equivalent of what we believe 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says. Hey, I got baptized with Pastor Jeff last night. What? Pa- what this is saying, the Holy Spirit is not the thing I'm getting baptized with. The Holy Spirit is the person baptizing me. If in that picture of natural water baptism, if there's a picture of the Holy Spirit there, it is the person placing them under the water and bringing them back up, symbolizing that they have been crucified and raised with Christ. The Holy Spirit is not the thing we're getting baptized with. The Holy Spirit is the person that is baptizing them. And what does the word baptize mean? It means to dip under, to place in. What am I being placed into? I'm being placed into Christ. The water doesn't place you into Christ. The Holy Spirit places you into Christ. Now let's read the scripture again. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into, placed into one body. The Spirit is the agent. The Spirit is the person that places us into the body of Christ. That's what it means to be baptized by the Spirit. It has nothing to do with whether you speak in tongues or not. It has nothing to do with whether you have the gift of healing or the gift of working of miracles or the gift of prophecy or the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom. Those are manifestations of the Spirit that lives on the inside of you. To be baptized in the Spirit. Now, you remember what I said a while ago? If you are baptized in the Spirit, you are saved. That's what it means to be saved. So when they say if you're not baptized in the Spirit, you're not saved, they are technically correct. They're just technically wrong about what being baptized in the Spirit means. I mean, we can shandai shandai all day long, and it doesn't mean, it means absolutely nothing. If the Spirit of God is not living on the inside of me. 
In the Shandai, Shandai doesn't mean I've got the spirit. It's going to be the fruit of love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's going to be the fruit that I can't work up, that I can't produce, but it's the fruit that the Holy Spirit can produce. The gifts are the manifestations of the reality of the Spirit in me. And he gives to them as he wills. The Spirit dictates that, not me. To be baptized in the Spirit means that by the Spirit of God, remember, not by might, not by power, you can work as hard as you want, you can strive as hard as you want, and you will never save yourself. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. The only way... You can come out of sin and death and be placed into life is for the Spirit of God himself to take you from that and to place you into Christ. For by one Spirit, we have all been baptized into one body. Spirit baptism represents the fact and the reality that we have been saved and translated out of darkness and into light. When we baptize someone in water, what we are is making a public declaration of what has already happened through faith in the Spirit. The water has no power. It is just a statement that's being made of the reality of what the Spirit has already done in our life. Are you with me, church? The Spirit is never a thing we are baptized with. The Spirit is the person baptizing us or placing us into Christ. And when we confess, listen, when we're placed into Christ, we're placed into Christ how? As we trust Him. Or if you believe that Jesus is Lord, you confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes or trusts to what? Unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Do you know why the heart goes before the mouth? The mouth can say all day long what it wants to say, but if what the mouth says doesn't come from the heart, it doesn't mean anything. The confession of salvation must come from a believing heart. And so when we are placed and we're placed into Christ, when we by faith call upon him, when we believe in him, when we call upon the name of the Lord from faith, we will be saved. And the Holy Spirit places us into Christ who is our resting place, who is our promised land. He is the place that, that has been prepared for us. Amen. In the Father. Hallelujah. Our baptism in the Spirit, by the Spirit, with the Spirit, is our coming into Christ. It is our salvation. This is why it is ridiculous to say that I'm saved, but I don't have the Holy Ghost yet. You say, well, that's silly. I, no one teaches that. Well, I don't know who does and who doesn't teach it, but I'm going to tell you what, I've had way, way, way too many people come to me and say, all this time, I didn't think I had the Holy Ghost. Because I didn't speak in tongues. How can you be saved and not have the Holy Ghost? It's impossible. If you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, you're not saved because you haven't been taken out of sin and death and brought into life. Do you understand now why it is so absolutely important to rightly understand what the Word of God is declaring? Now, we're going to talk more. We're going we're to talk about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, we'll talk about that. That's a real thing. The scripture tells us we should be. We must be filled with the Spirit. But let's get the foundational understanding first. I, I can't be filled with the Spirit if I haven't been baptized in the Spirit. In other words, I can't be filled with the Spirit if I'm not saved. If I can't be filled with the Spirit, if the Spirit of God's not living on the inside of me. And if He's not living in me, I'm not saved. And if I'm not saved, I haven't been baptized in the Spirit. Amen? All right. We will stop there and we'll pick up next week. So again, get your Bibles out. Read the Word. Well, I'll have this message guide on the website. You can go to resources on the website, www.cfctaylor.com. You can click on the resource tab and go down and it'll say messages or something like that. And you can, you can 
that'll come out in a PDF format. You can print it, you can look at it online, however you want to do it. But study the Word. Let the Word be the Word. Let the Word set you free. Amen? The world needs to hear the truth. And if the body of Christ can't walk in the truth, how in the world can we expect those who are in unbelief to know it? If we don't even know what it is ourselves. Let's all stand. If you're here today and you would like prayer for anything, uh, I'm going to dismiss the service. And if you'd like prayer for healing or, or you have any need, uh, you come forward and just wait up here and, and we'll pray with you. I want to know before we go, is there anyone here today who has never made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life? You've never submitted yourself to the death of the cross and allowed the work of the resurrection to become a reality in your life. You're going to have to lose your life to find life. That's what Jesus said. If you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'd like to do that, I'd like to pray with you. Is there anyone? Raise your hand. If there's anyone who's never come to faith in Christ. Father, we just thank you right now for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, we, we could not be here We would not have life without the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as you told those disciples and as you recorded for us, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go to my Father, I cannot send to you the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we're thankful that you went to the Father. We're thankful that you you poured out the Spirit. And Lord, when we cried out to you from a heart of faith, God, by your Spirit, you took us from death and you placed us into life. Christ, who is our life. And Lord, you came and you live inside of us. You reside. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the living stones because the life of God, the Spirit of God, lives on the inside of us. And we are being built a holy habitation, a spiritual house in the Spirit for God. We thank you for that, Lord. You've done that by grace and you've done it by your Spirit. Lord, not not anything that we have done. And we are so thankful, Lord, for the work of the Holy Ghost. And Father, we just pray that you would, by your Spirit, destroy the idols of doctrine and tradition and things that we have held. Lord, mindsets and strongholds and attitudes, Lord, that we've held that have robbed us from knowing the truth, that have caused us to believe we're somehow second-class Christians or we just don't quite measure up because I just don't quite have the fullness. I just quite haven't earned that place yet. No, there's nothing for us to earn. God has held nothing back. He has given us the fullness of His Son, the fullness of His Spirit. And if we are in Christ, we have received the fullness. And as we have received Christ, the Apostle Paul says, so Walk in Him. We have received the fullness. Let us walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Father, we ask that You would do this, that You would reveal this, God, by Your Spirit. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. We'll give the Lord a good hand. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. If you uh, come out for the congregational meeting, that would be awesome. If you need prayer, come on up. And, and if you'll wait right here, I'll pray with you.